Hey, this is Rabbi Zev Bennett. You're listening to the Daily Halacha, Kabbalah, and Machshava podcast series from Yesod Blocks. If you're interested in more content like this, you can head over to yesodblocks.com and support what we're doing by subscribing, getting access to all of the more advanced content that we share there all the time, constantly being updated and upgraded. You can also reach out to me directly with any questions, comments, or feedback. We have a WhatsApp portal at yesodblocks.com, which goes straight to my phone. So if you have any questions about the content in these in these episodes or anything on the website or Torah in general, uh, you're welcome to reach out and share those at any time. Uh, in this episode, we're continuing with the next Siman in the Halacha and the Shulchan Aruch, and that is Siman Nun. And Siman Nun is also another one of these short Siman, and we're about to start getting into the uh, longer areas of the Shulchan Aruch, where we start talking about things like Psuke de Zimra, because the first parts of the Shulchan Aruch are really patterned after our day. That, that's why it's called Orachayim, which literally means the way of life, kind of like just the way your life unfolds as you start your day. So we, we focused on what happens when you wake up, and a few of the mitzvot that are related to that, hand washing, and then we skipped over tefillin and tzitzit, because those are a little bit more focused and intense areas of halacha that we're going to have to come back to after we get a little bit more of the more general overview of the day. And then we had a bunch of things that were connected to the content of the Sidur, which is the tefillah manual that we use every day to activate tefillah. And so we're we're kind of in the earlier phase of that part. And so this, this Siman is a very short piece of what goes on in the Sidur, although in the Sidur itself, it's really, it's not that small, but it ends up kind of being smaller than a lot of the other things that we tend to think about. It's part of the area that's called Korbanot, uh, which is that we basically recite different verses and different Mishnayos, different Halachos, uh, about the the offerings that were brought in the Temple. And as we discussed in earlier episodes, the reason why we do that is because the um, mechanics of those offerings are essentially... Uh, either analogs of or even synonymous with the types of things that we're trying to do internally uh, in the process of tefillah that we still have remaining to us. Even though the temple has been destroyed, we still have the sidur and the different things that are in it that were designed by the sages of the Gemara uh, in order to at least activate the inner mechanics or the inner reflections of the of the procedures of the offerings of the Beis HaMikdash. And so that's uh, that's why we say these psukim and we read and learn these different details about the, the korbanot, the offerings of the Beis HaMikdash, uh, to sort of touch base with or activate those sets of thoughts in our mind. And that's, uh, we're going to delve into that a little bit more fully now. Just let's first read this halacha and see exactly what it says. So again, Siman Nun, which is section 50, and it's halacha Aleph. It's the only halacha in this Siman. So halacha number one, it says, Kav'u lishnos achar parshas hatamid. They, they established, this refers to the sages of the Gemara again, the, the Chazal, that uh, you're supposed to learn and review um, after you say the, the psukim of the Tamid, which is one of the offerings that we say the psukima, we read the verses of this offering also in the morning. So you're supposed. What are you supposed to do? They establish you're supposed to then say Ezu Mukoman Ubraisa Rabbi Yishmael. So Ezu Mukoman is a is a list of Mishnayos, and we're going to explain what that is a little more fully in a second. And even if you know what Mishnayos are, because you've learned them, we're still going to be explaining exactly what a Mishnah is. I think in a at a level that's a little bit deeper, because that's kind of the whole point of this series. And then also something called the Brisa of Rabbi Yishmael, which is also something from the time of the Mishnah. And so we're going to explain what that is in a second. And why do we why do we we read or learn these things, review these things every day? So that way every person can have the opportunity, the merit of learning every day, Mikra, Mishnah, Ugemara, means Psukim, meaning verses from the Torah, Mishnah, which is these uh, these 
these bullet ideas that are meaning meaning short bullet ideas that are that are uh, what the Mishnah is, which we'll talk about more in a second, and Gemara, which is the Talmud essentially, which is the expansion of the Mishnah. Um, and why is that? The Bryce Derby Ishmael. Uh, not why is that, but this, this next point just supports that, because that, that third thing, the b'raisa of Rabbi Ishmael, havibim kom gemara, is, is instead of gemara, sha medrish ka gemara, because it's part of the medrish, and medrish is like the gemara. So let's just explain what these things are for a second, and 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 go a little deeper in terms of the the underlying premises of this of this of this. Uh, halacha. So again, we're they establish we're supposed to, we're supposed to read these three things. We're supposed to basically cover uh, mikra, mishnah, ugemara every day to at least learn a little bit of mikra, which is the chumash itself, the Torah shabbat the written Torah, um, mishnah, which we're going to explain as part of the oral Torah, and gemara, which is the expansion of the mishnah. And so these other things, the the mishnayos of Ezu Makoman and the brayse of Rabbi Shmuel, so they are ex- ex- examples of mishnah and gemara, because the brayse in the brayse of Rabbi Shmuel is part of something called the Medrash, and so that's also an example of the same thing as Gemara. So this idea comes from the Gemara in Kedushan. It says that we're supposed to learn all three of these things every day, to have some of each of them. And the question, of course, you want to ask yourself here is, what exactly are these things in terms of the underlying mechanics of ourself and how we're constructed, and why do we need to do these three things every day? So often when when we learn Torah, unfortunately, as I mentioned in earlier episodes, uh, the Eitzadas dynamic of, of perceiving things in a fragmented way, where we get attached to particular ways of seeing things, and we also, not only do we get attached to particular frameworks, we also have a tendency to focus more on that which is more prominently featured in our environment, instead of giving things proportionate relevance in our in our perceptions based on their true intrinsic relevance, as opposed to, again, if some, something could be very, very loud and not very important, that's actually many crises work that way. You could have things that are very urgent, but not as important as things that are much more important, but are less urgent. And then what ends up happening is you give a lot more relevance in your perceptual prioritization to the things that are loud, but the things that are important often get pushed to the, to the, to the background, and we don't emphasize or invest enough uh, in those things. And so that's true also with Torah learning, where we have certain parts of the Torah that are emphasized or that are invested in more. And today, there's a very strong emphasis on learning Gemara, as if Gemara is some kind of separate thing from the Chumash and separate thing from, from the Machshava, the Kabbalah, the, the underlying principles of the Torah. And so Gemara does have a particular um, advantage in terms of its format that actually makes it very, very important, but it doesn't mean that the ideas in it are more important than the ideas that are in all the other bodies of Torah or the works of literature that we have, of Torah literature. So I just want to organize that a little more carefully for a second and show you exactly where Gemara fits in and where Mishnah fits in and what these things are. So we've discussed uh, in previous episodes how there's this set of areas almost that, that, that form the stack of the tools that we use to manifest ourselves in the world. And those areas have been divided until now into the world of Deot, which is the world of perceptions, uh, connected very closely to the world of Ratzon, which is where your basic will comes from. And then we have underneath that, uh, we have the world of Bina, and that's really the world of thought. And so the world of Deot, so you can think of that as, as the world of Chachma and the world of Keter, to use the, the Kabbalah terminologies for these things, is that the world of your perceptions is essentially this area in which it's, it's, it's much more intangible even than thought. Now, thought is very intangible because you can't really touch thoughts or see them, but thoughts are, are more concrete in the sense that they, you, you can differentiate between one thought and another thought in terms of its qualitative content. Uh, but that's different from the world of perceptions, which perceptions are actually so hard 
to see because we see everything through them. And so the world of Chachma and the world of Keter, which are these, these layers that are part of the highest phase of the stack that we use to transform or tra transmit ourselves, our Neshama consciousness into the world, so they are the most intangible. And that's really where our perceptions are formed and reinforced and, and, and developed further. And so that's, that's what that is. And then we have underneath that is the world of Bina, and the world of Bina essentially is the world of actual thought, actualized thought, where you're actually thinking coherent thoughts that are flowing through your mind. You can think you can think them passively and just have them flow through your mind based on habits, or you can actively think thoughts and, and direct them to different places. And the process of Bina is what's called to be mevin davar mitoch davar, which basically means to extrapolate one thing from another. You can think of that as, a, as empirical thought. It's calculating. It's basically saying when you see something, it triggers uh, impl implied thoughts. It triggers resulting thoughts. It triggers extrapolations from what you're seeing and experiencing to more ideas, to create connections between what you're experiencing right now and other things that you have remembered in the past. It's basically the system that you use to evaluate uh, the world around you and, and uh, absorb its patterns and then organize them in some way that allows you to then respond to the patterns of existence and actually figure out how to join the patterns and kind of, as you can call it, almost like dance with the pattern dancing of the world. So that's what your Bina area is. And again, it's called very uh, simply, it's usually described as just the world of thought. But when we actually delve into what the world of thought is and why it's called Bina, it gives us a lot more understanding of, of the mechanics of that area, and so the area of Bina actually, there, there, there's, there's, uh, you could think of it as like, you know, we have a hard time today quantifying people's intelligence, and we don't even like to talk about it. Well, some people are smarter than other people, or better at math, or better at, 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 uh, you know, artistic thinking or creative thought. There's like different kinds of thought today in the psychological world, but actually, all of that can be folded into the world of Bina in a very organized way because the world of Bina. The very nature of how it's constructed and how it functions includes all the different kinds of thought within it. So just to just to then just finish off the stack. Obviously, underneath that there's the world of emotion, which we're not delving into right now too much. And then beneath that is uh, is the world of um, of Asiya, uh, or Malchut, which basically is the the layer of physiological and practical manifestation, behavioral manifestations. So that's the bottom of the stack. So. The reason why I expanded out a little bit the Bina discussion here is because that's exactly what this halacha is about. So when we talk about Mikra, Mishnah, and Gemara, so Mikra is the Chumash. We've discussed in earlier episodes how Torah Shabbat what it really is, is kind of like the, it's the fixed and permanent uh, aspect of Torah. It's, you can think of it as like the starting point that never changes. And so you have this fixed set of data and it's just fixed information, and then everything else, like the the understanding of Torah, the layers, that what it means in every permutation, every situation, so is all what's called Torah Shabbal Peh. And Torah Shabbal Peh, it's kind of like, you know, when you see a person, uh, when a person says something, so the words that they say are, are fixed, and what you want to try to do is you want to listen to the words they say and then get a sense of what they mean. Like underneath, what do you really mean when you say those things? And what you mean, there's a kind of like a very broad array of meaning. There's there's obviously all the thoughts that are there. There's the feelings they have. And so Tarsha Bechsav is like this fixed data point, just like the words you say. If you tell somebody, I love you, so then that we all use that phrase. It's a fixed data point. We all say the phrase, I love you, to people that we love. But... The actual underlying Torah Shabbat the oral Torah of that phrase, 
for each person varies dr dramatically because, first of all, the you is a different you in each situation, and the quality of that love varies even within a relationship. There are times you love in different ways and different amounts, and so the saying of the words I love you is kind of like the Tarsha B'chsav here, and then the underlying meaning of it and all its associated thoughts and feelings and, and perspectives, that's all the Torah Shabal Peh. And so when we think about that in terms of actual, the, actually the bodies of Torah, so Torah Shabal is that, but then we have the Mishnah. See, because what happened was, in, historically, people used to essentially um, know all of the underlying meanings of these things. And what I mean by that is that when you were exposed to Hashem, in the very beginning of the story of in Parshas Yisro, in, in the Chumash, with the whole story of Hashem ripping open the heavens and the earth, and then uh, revealing himself to all the people in, in, in his fullness, and people actually were able to see past the barriers in their mind and experience the connection between themselves and Hashem more deeply. So then that that led to the, to, the, to the next phase, which was now trying to absorb all of the underlying meaning of existence, and then seeing how that is the that is expressed in the in the fixed words of the Chumash itself. So the Torah Shabal Peh, when the Gemara says that we receive the Torah Shabal Peh and the Torah Shabal so that's what that's referring to is that we got these fixed data points about existence, which is Torah Shabal and then we also received this very extensive internal set of, of, of ideas and understandings incrementally over time because the people couldn't really uh, hang on to all of it at once. And so we had kind of like what was said and what was meant. That's basically, you know, if we wanted to simplify it to that. Um, and so then over time that the what was meant began to get lost because you know even like if somebody if somebody says talks in a certain way and phrases things in a certain way uh, you might have a hard time sometimes remembering exactly what they mean because what they what people mean is a much broader array uh, of information than just what they say. And so it's actually often very difficult if you're not constantly trying to stay in touch with what people mean. So then what ends up happening is your das tovara starts to fixate on what they said. And then you say, but you didn't say that, or you said this, and that's, I, I thought you meant that. And and then that's how arguments start because people are not really trying to genuinely listen in order to understand what was meant. And so that, that ends up causing serious uh, uh, fracturing in relationships because they're simply misperceptions of what was intended. So what ha the people started to forget the Torah Shabbal Peh in that way. And then there were different people along the way who started to actually write down and start taking notes and, and trying to summarize and organize all these different meanings of the Torah Shabbal and the underlying principles of existence into, into ever more concise and distilled forms until they basically reached this final form, which Rabbi Huda Anasi uh, about 2,000 years ago uh, compiled the, the ultimate distilled, distilled form of this, Although there were many other forms as well that were included. Um, and so his is basically just bullet points. And the way it's supposed to work is there's these very short bullets where you read one and it's supposed to trigger a whole set of thoughts that are, that are you know, things that we that we kind of, again, at that time, people rem people, people still remembered a lot of Torah Shabbal Peh. They just couldn't really always access their memory of it because there was just so much to remember. So what they would do is they would have these bullets. And then when you, when you read a bullet, which is a Mishnah, then it would trigger a whole cascade of thoughts. And these are thoughts that you already had. And you'd remember, oh, that now I can remember, you know, what, what were all the lines of reasoning? What were all the implications, the arguments about this thing? And that's what the Mishnah is. The Mishnah is basically supposed to be these trigger phrases that allow us to then uh, sort of remind ourselves of, oh yeah, what were we talking about? And you say one line and then it's like, oh, and you were say saying this and then I was saying that and then you thought to look at it this way and then my perspective was this other way. And so then we can actually flesh out and expand the reasoning, the, the picture, the understanding, the different sides, the different parts of the, of the particular topic. So that was what the Mishnah was. And then even that began to fail because people actually couldn't even remember the reasoning, the understandings, the associated thoughts. And that's what then the, when the Gemara comes in. And the Gemara is simply the expansion of the Mishnah. It's the fleshing out of the, the different 
lines of reasoning, the different arguments, different ideas that are embedded in the Mishnah. And so when when we learn that, what we're really trying to do is we're trying to access the whole picture that the Mishnah is embedding or embodying. So that's the that's the world of Torah in terms of the the three things that are mentioned here in the halacha. Now, why is that significant to do every day? And what is this, you know, how does this tie together with the area of Bina? Well, the area of Bina, the way that our mind works, at least one piece of information about how the, the world of Bina works inside of our thought space, is that our mind, essentially, it it, um, it it likes to, again, because of Das Tovara, it flows in a very, um, again, habituated kind of way. So what that means is that the like the active thinking means that you actually build you can think of your mind as like as if it's a garden so gardens that are not tended very well that are not really there's not a lot of landscaping going on the plants that grow there simply become more and more and more entangled over time and it's harder and harder to move from one part of the garden to another one and then whenever you actually actively try to landscape the garden you can form new paths in the garden and get from point a to point b and explore areas of the garden you've never seen before and you can add just more more um, access to the garden's larger larger area. And so that's what the world of Bina is exactly like. So there's a concept in Kabbalah that when you learn Torah, you're supposed to be to be mitlabesh in it, meaning you're supposed to dress yourself in it. So if you learn a, if you learn a concept, so you're supposed to actually um, first learn the bullet point, which is the Mishnah, and then you're supposed to actually uh, fully dress yourself in it and live it. Now, what does it mean to live it? So it means to actually think through all the way from just the initial point to all of its possible implications and really see it as if it was something which you were experiencing right now. So I'll just give an example of something like that for a second. So let's imagine that you uh, got in a fight with your your best friend, your spouse, or a fa- close family member, or a friend of yours. And when you're in a fight with somebody, so what happens is you get very involved in that experience. And so you get emotionally involved. It's very intense. And you also have a lot of a lot of perceptions of how you see them and, and, and how what's wrong with what they're saying. And you start thinking through. And you really, if you get very involved in the fight, you start to think through, here are all the things that I disagree with. And this point that you said, I don't agree with that. And you kind of work through all of those types of thoughts. And so what you're doing in that situation is you're being mitlabesh. Like you're really, you're really using your mind to work through all the different things that are being said. And we often are very motivated to be mitlabesh in a fight uh, because we are very passionate about our own position and we want to win the argument. These are not very good reasons to be mitlabesh, to really dress yourself in it. But uh, often that is what we do because we get very emotionally involved. Now, here's what should happen next. If you're mitlabesh that way, in other words, if you fully immerse yourself in, in the different thought processes and patterns of the situation. So then imagine that the next day you're talking to one of your a different friend of yours and they tell you how they got in a fight with a friend of theirs. Now, if you are using your mind actively, what you can do is you can then imagine the fullness of that experience of what it really means to go all the way deep into the details and, and live through all the different aspects of the fight. And you can basically um, empathize with them more fully because you actually have a full experience of all the thoughts and all the uh, patterns, thought patterns that come with that kind of an interaction. So, but often we don't do that because we we let these things happen passively. We don't actively make our mind do this heat club shoot. Instead, we kind of just do it. It just, just kind of happens to us. And then we talk to somebody else. So we're so busy in our own minds, in our own perceptions that we don't even really let their experience become something that we even focus on in a deep way. And so what this is doing 
learning Torah in this way, where you when you explore deeply, where you take the Torah Shabbat, you learn a little bit of that, and that's the, that's the data, and then you also then learn some of the bullets, which is the like the uh, the beginning of expanding the meaning, and then you learn a little bit of the ex- full expansion of the meaning, which is the Gemara side of this. So what that's supposed to do is it's supposed to train our minds, and we're supposed to learn this Torah much more than just this small amount every day. You're supposed to learn a good amount of Chumash, a good amount of Mishnah, and a good amount of Gemara every day to train our minds to not just in the background flesh things out and be mit labesh in the totality of the thought structures that we develop when we're in a situation that we care about. Not to just do that passively, but to actively build thought structures with our mind about topics of Torah, and that and that's because topics of Torah are reflective of larger reality, uh, and it's a longer discussion by itself, but basically to build these thought structures actively in our minds, to use your Bina to basically read something and 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 hear the data point and then and then understand a little bit of the meaning of it and then build out the implications and say, oh, this implies that, this leads to that, and flesh out the whole tree of knowledge there, the whole, all the different branches, so that your mind actively begins to explore. And what this does is, I mean, there's a few things that it does, but just for the, the main thing that it does, it allows you to be much more um, full, full, full expressing, fully expressing of your mind's power, because often our mind is just this thing that we just have, and we just let it do what it wants, and we fill it with random things, and we don't think actively with it, but when you actually direct your mind to this kind of explore, exploration of anything, and, and Torah is the best thing to do with, but you could also do with other things, just to, just to actively think through things. You know, let's say if, if you ever learn something, even this this episode, you can listen to this episode and then you should, you can, what you can do to test this out is you can try to summarize it for yourself, let's say into five main points and then think through those five main points on your own. Try to think through what was said and why does that, how does that fit together with the other four points and, and, and actively reconstruct the the understanding that I'm trying to convey right now. And you could do that with, with books, you could do that with even a TV show. It's actually more productive to do that with a TV show than to just watch TV show and then not do that because then you're just passively absorbing and your mind just becomes weaker. That garden becomes more tangled. But if you actively um, essentially do this process of going from the data to the meaning and then expanding and fleshing out the implications of the meaning, which is these three layers that we have here, you make your mind more and more and more powerful as a tool that you can then use to deal with the patterns of the world around you and make yourself more aligned with them and then actually be more effective in your interaction with them. And so there's no, I cannot overstate how important that is. I mean, our minds are by far the most important tool that we have at our disposal in terms of dealing with the world and becoming what, we can, what we're actually meant to and able to become. And often it's just kind of like this background tool because of Das Tovara. We, we almost ignore it and let it just kind of do things on its own. But when you actively do this process of thinking through things and then trying to reconstruct them yourself and trying to then re- connect them to each other and integrate the ideas that you, that you just learned uh, into something which you yourself constructed, you're now making your mind able to be fully fleshed, fleshing things out. And that really gives you proactive power of the mind where you can really think for yourself and analyze things for yourself. And then, you know, if you ever feel lost in the world today with all the confused ideas floating around, you can actually sift through them. When you get really good at this, you can sift through ideas and figure out where the holes are, where they don't fit, why they don't fit, and where there are simple logical impossibilities that are embedded in people's ideas and arguments today, cultural ideas, and then 
you can actually really see things more and more and more clearly. And that's what the Torah is. It's supposed to be a map of truth. And a map of truth is detailed, but also general. And to be able to, to navigate that map and see it in the world and actually see what's true and what's false, that's actually fulfilling the process. The, process, the Medrash describes that in the beginning of, of, of existence, Hashem dropped truth into the world and then put all these pseudo-truths all around it. And then th- that truth is, is just wandering the earth and, and we're searching for it. But there's so many things that look like truth and we can't tell which ones are, are truth and which ones aren't and these are the tools necessary to actually do that and it can be done truth is truth is there it's it's accessible it's out there you just have to know how to use the tools to actually achieve that so hope that was helpful and clear and we're going to continue with the next halacha in the next episode thanks so much for tuning in and again check us out at yesodblocks.com if you want more torah like this and looking forward to having you join me in the next episode